Welcome, B-Movie fans, to another B-Movie interview. I'm Paul. And I'm Corey. And joining us today is Jeff Frumis, and he's here to talk about his film, Romeo's Distress. Jeff, welcome to our show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, nice to have you on. So ah, It's great to be on. So before we begin the question, uh, the questions, um, I just want to say, um, I actually heard you mentioned on another podcast today, which is pretty cool. Ooh, it was on the... The uh, Fright Club um, podcast with um, Pope really? George. Yep. Yeah, they Fright said they. Club. Yeah, they said they met you at. Um, I think it was uh, one of their um, movie yes. um, things. Yeah. Yeah. So those guys. Yeah, yeah. It's a, that's a husband and wife team. I met them at. Uh, oh, I got to check out that episode. Yeah, I met them at. Um, now, now I'm searching for their names exactly. I met them at uh, uh, the Nightmares Film Festival, which. Uh, is the coolest film festival that I've ever been to ever. And they were judges and really, really well-versed in movies. And they have, yeah, they have um, uh, a, a podcast called The Fright Club and they rock. Oh yeah, we've had them on, their, on our show. We've, we've actually been on their show once before. It's a great podcast, so shout out to them. And um, shout, if they have Super shout out to them. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes, indeed. So that's cool. Uh, I'll definitely. I'm gonna. I was meaning to check out their podcast anyway, but now I'll. Uh, I'll go look it up for sure. Oh yeah. If you if you get the chance, check out the one about amputees because we're on that one. <laughs> oh okay. Wait, that's what, what we which, did with them. Wait, which one? Yeah. Wait, it's which, um. It, it's a countdown of the top amputees in horror films. Oh yeah. okay. So we got Saw on there for sure. I'm I'm sure. Um, what else is, uh, amputee movie that would be, I'm sorry, this just feels like a challenge to me. Um, well, there's, there, there's the big one, which is Ashley Williams. Oh yeah. Oh, of course. Uh, um, so we have Evil Dead 2, we got Saw, we have, uh, what's, uh, Grindhouse, um, Cherry. Uh, oh yeah. Cherry from, um, Cherry, Planet Terror. Cherry, uh, what's, oh, Death, not Death Proof. What was Planet Terror. What was Planet Terror, right? Okay, yep. We got her from Planet Terror. Uh, um, who else cut off a limb? The um, the guy who was the victim in uh, oh, in, audition, um, audition, yeah. Right, yeah. He gets his foot chopped off. That's that's a good one. Um, hmm, anything um, else? Yeah, we, we that's used, a really great category. We we got into an argument because we said Doctor David Gale. Um, oh, from, um, from Reanimator, Doctor David Gale, uh, fucking Doctor Carl oh, Hill, Carl played Hill. by David Gale, um, because he has his head cut off, and we got into an argument whether the head is a limb Absolutely. or not. Absolutely, because See? he gets reanimated, he has consciousness, and therefore he is still an intact entity, whether he's alive or dead. Um, <laughs> I would say that totally counts as as uh, an amputee. Totally Idle hands, idle hands. Um, I don't know if that was mentioned. Remember that with uh, Devin Sawa? That was a really good movie. And uh, I'm trying to find Fright Club right now on Facebook. I want to follow their page. They gave me the business card, and I can't find – all right, I'll do that later. Uh, we're, we're getting uh, all uh, all uh, discombobulated. Okay, go that's ahead. Okay. Yeah, so well, that's, that, that's okay. So one, that's of our, one of our tagging lines is uh, randomness is a gift. So uh, I agree. I like that. But, uh, but, yeah, we can dive right into the questions here. Um, question number one, what uh, first inspired you to become a filmmaker? Oh man. Well, um, I just always, uh, gravitated towards being a storyteller and, uh, I love telling stories and, uh, it's, it's that, it's that, uh, 
that that very ununique tale of being uh, an aimless youth, not knowing what they wanted to do in, with their life. And all my friends went off to four-year college, and I stayed at home and uh, went to community college and uh, worked at Sam Goody. Spent all my money on DVDs that are now like sort of uh, not sort of obsolete. So now I'm replacing my whole collection on Blu-ray, which is super fucking annoying. Uh, and, um, and I remember in, uh, I remember September, 2004 is when the Dawn of the Dead ultimate edition was released and Clerks X was released, uh, too. And, um, I bought both and I watched the documentary on Clerks X and I had like this Clerks being the 10th anniversary edition. I had this, like this, like lightning bolt went off in my head and I was like, I'm going, that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to tell movies and I'm just going to go out there and make a movie. And that was the, uh, that was the very beginning of wanting to be a filmmaker. Now I have to ask you, you said you worked at Sam Goody. Did, uh, oh, yeah. w- was it inside of a mall? Uh, yeah, the Galleria did, in White Plains. Did you, uh, did, was there also a national record mart there? No, I never heard <sighs> of that before. I don't know what national record mart was, but we had a, we had a Pax Sun, a Cinnabon, um, <laughs> I mean, this is like this is thirteen years ago now, but uh, oh, okay, this that uh, was way past when National Record Mart ended, like in the late nineties. No, the the mall uh, close to where I grew up had a uh, a Sam Goody, a National Record Mart, a Waves Music, and a Camelot. We had four four wow. fucking CD places. Wow, that is, I mean, you you that's luck right there. You are a lucky guy to have that. <laughs> I mean. And Just yeah, now, now they're all gone. They're all oh, gone. Yeah. And I used to work at Borders Books. That's gone. Oh, man. I used to work in the music department. And I worked at FYE, and that's all gone. I just, I miss that, man. There's like, this, oh. there's like two FYEs that I still know of existing in Pennsylvania. Right. Yeah, I know. I still, still have exist, a Borders but. card I found the other day. I'm like, well, that's not usable. <laughs> Funny, where I oh, got. You know what I have? You guys are going to like this. You can see it through the screen. For those who can't see, I'm holding up. A blockbuster bag <laughs> from the last time I went to a blockbuster in 2013 in Tucson, Arizona, and I bought a bunch of DVDs that I did not need uh, and still haven't even watched half of them. But I was like, this is the last time I'm going to be in a blockbuster. And I remember just walking around and just inhaling the smell. Remember the smell of a blockbuster oh, and yeah. that you could smell the stale candy and you're just like <laughs> – Ah, and then it was just, I just was like, I was just like so enamored with this like shitty blockbuster. Cause it was like, this is the last time I'm going to be in there. And I still have the, uh, I still have the bag from when I bought my movies. That's like, uh, what Hollywood video was around us. That, that was the bigger chain. Right. And, uh, yes. yeah, that's what I did. St- still haven't watched Geely. Bought it for 50 cents. Ah. St- still haven't watched it. <laughs> that's a horror movie right there. <laughs> Um, so yeah. So what would you say is your favorite part of filmmaking? Oh, I I love it all, man. Um, I, I love, I mean, I guess sometimes like there are parts where I'm like more looking forward to the next step than what I'm doing right then and there. And so I get very sick of whatever it is that I'm doing currently. And I'm like, ah, man, I really want to, uh, uh, you know, get to the next thing. And, uh, um, but I love every part of the process, uh, and, um, usually whatever I'm doing is what, what I really, really love, what I just, what I love, you know, if that makes any sense, that's kind of like a question where it's like, what's your favorite, what's your favorite kind of music? And the, 
the guy always says, oh, yeah, I'm into a little bit of everything. You know, I hate that. So <laughs> it's like, which is your favorite child? It's like, oh, damn it. Yeah, oh, Obviously, yeah. the one that's not a ginger. <laughs> not the ugly right. one, of course. Yeah. <laughs> that one's not mine. <laughs> so, can you tell us a little bit about Romeo's distress, the general plot or idea behind the film? So, um, Romeo's distress, uh, the elevator one sentence synopsis is, uh, a boy named James loves a girl named Jane. And, um, it's about a boy named James, his unrequited love for a girl named Jane and her father's, uh, sadistic yet dutiful response to it all. That's I was I was a little worried when you were like the the one elevator line is that there's this guy named Romeo and he's in distress and I was just gonna like <laughs> slap you through the computer. I was gonna be, you motherfucker. <laughs> nope, definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah, having uh, seen it, there's definitely a lot to it. Um, but that was that was a nice little synopsis to it. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I I think that when you're making a movie, um. Cause I get you, that's the number one thing when someone's like, Oh, you make movies or, Oh, you, you're into movies. Like, so what's your movie about? And it's like, if you can't say it in one concise sentence, even though I kind of screwed that up, like the first time I just tried to say it to you, <laughs> uh, if you can't say it like straight up, then like, you're going to immediately lose whoever you're trying to tell. So it's like, it's about a boy named James his unrequited love for a girl named Jane and her father's sadistic response to it all. And so, you know, I'm writing something now, and I'm trying to come up with a sentence because I got to sell a lot of people on this idea. And if I don't have that sentence, it's going to be a lot harder. Cause we, oh, so it's like this movie, right? And it's like this guy's like, you know, doing this. Thing. It's like, you know, I'm already lost. I'm already lost. I, I don't care anymore. So I think it's very important. It, and you just did a better Keanu Reeves than Keanu Reeves himself does. Oh, hey, that's, Keanu- right. that's right. You should pay me royalties. <laughs> hey, Keanu Reeves is an, is an American hero. It is. So what? What inspired? What is? What inspired you? Wait, wait, wait! Before you ask me that question, <laughs> I have ready. Here's a here's a Keanu trivia question. Ready? <laughs> what movie is this from? I am impotent with fear. Is is that from Dracula? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. I was going to say the Matrix reloaded, yeah. but <laughs> I am. Well, yeah, it ju- just like- just because how you threw fia, how you threw that, it, it was like okay, so that's Keanu's right. British accent. Like, like I knew that one. I fucking hate that oh, movie. I am Keanu Dracula. Um, yeah. So what what Sorry, inspired you specifically to make Romeo's Distress? Mm, well, it started. Uh, let me think. Um, it started, I was trying to do a very unconventional love triangle. That was the seed of the idea. Uh, spoilers, if you have uh, not seen Romeo yet, not that everybody's clamoring to see it, but uh, just to uh, avert your attention for one second while I basically spoil the movie. Um, basically, uh, as you know, there is a love triangle. Or originally, the idea was that it was going to be a love triangle between a dead girl and two guys, and one of them was a boyfriend, and one of them was a guy that wanted to be with her. And uh, the plot sort of changed as we were into it. Like you, you know, they say you write a movie three times. 
You write a movie in the screenplay, you write the movie again when you're in production, and then you write the movie again when you edit. And that's kind of what happened to Romeo. So that was the starting point. And then, as you know, because you watch the movie, um, it, it's clearly more Romeo and Juliet than it is, say, necromantic. But it started from like a, a necromantic place. And uh, the title was always Romeo's Distress. And then when I when the movie started to change, it started to become more like Romeo and Juliet. I was like, oh, I guess the title is more fitting too. But the title is actually a song, but it's a great song, despite some of its uh, controversial lyrics, which I do not endorse in any way, shape, or form. Excited to add that little part in. <laughs> um, no, yeah, just that it's a great song, but it's got some like really fucked up lyrics that I don't endorse in any way, shape or form, but I really like the song. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm really influenced by music too. So, you know, everything I write sort of takes a title from music actually. So I wrote another screenplay that was called the shift, which is a Sam Hain song. And I just, you know, I always, I'm a, I'm a very visual person, but when I listen to music, it's like I paint the picture to what I'm hearing with the music. And that's like the seed that's where like the muse comes and like divine inspiration happens, that sort of thing. Definitely a good way to good place to draw um, inspiration from. That's for sure. I think so. I think so. Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of, um you kind of went into it, but without giving away like the ending and and um, the twist. Um, what would you say is the most unique aspect of um, Romeo's distress? Um. Well, I mean, I think. I think part of the problem is that Romeo is a little too unique, um, which has made it very hard to sort of market it and sort of promote it and get into festivals because it's, it's not really a horror movie per se. It's not like a horror movie textbook horror movie. Uh, yet if you were to put it in a video store, I think it would go in the horror section. Uh, and yet it is a horror movie because it's about the horrors of unrequited love. It's about the horrors of being like, someone who loves someone because it's like the movie is essentially like what if Romeo loved Juliet and Juliet didn't even know Romeo was alive you know what I mean uh and it's kind of and I and then you know it's also black and white which is sort of hard to uh uh market to and then um it's just got lots of weird stuff because I love weird offbeat movies and I was like I just want to try and emulate this uh and so what I try to I try to classify it. It's like a, I call it a genre bending horror thriller, Gothic horror thriller, but it's really none of those things. And so that nightmares film festival where I met that awesome, those awesome podcasters, um, from fright club, uh, they have this category, you know, a lot of horror film festivals that it's like all like just horror. You, you click horror and that's it. It's horror shorts or horror, horror features. But they had so many categories. This guy, Jason, the programmer, Chris, Chris Hamill and Bridget, all, all, the whole crew. They like they, they have like like these they have like you can you can submit as a thriller. You can submit as a horror. I submitted as a midnight movie and I was like, wow. Know what Romeo is? It's a midnight movie, and they actually just added a true crime category, uh, which I think is so, and a documentary category. I think that's so cool because it's like, you know, I feel like horror films are sort of uh, a subcategory of genre film overall because there's a lot of genre films. Like Green Room is a genre film. Is it called Green Room? Yeah, Green Room, Blue Ruin, 
Brawl and Cell 99. These are all genre films that you might kind of find in the horror section, but they're not really horror movies. You know what I mean? So I kind of really, that's what I really liked about that festival is it was like kind of like a, it was a, uh, they're more about celebrating genre as a whole. And Romeo is a genre movie. And so therefore I think it, it's unique in that it's uh, a horror movie. It's a horror movie that's not a horror movie, but trying to fit in like a horror movie. Definitely cool. So what qualities would you say make a great film? And could you give us a few examples of films that you would consider great? Okay. So, um, that's a great question. Uh, for me personally, when I watch a movie that I think is really great, I mean, there are a lot of movies that I think are really great, but I'm like, I'm never going to make that because it's just outside of my capacity. It's outside of my resources. It's outside of my skill set. But movies, movies that I think that are really great are movies where I'm like in awe of something. I'm like, I want to emulate that. So it's like sort of, I, I, I sort of, I sort of aspire greatness on both like a filmmaker level and as like a consumer viewer, if that makes any sense. And I guess my favorite films. Um, and again, whenever I'm watching a movie, I'm always trying to learn. I'm always trying to like, I'm like sitting there taking notes in my mind. I wish I could turn that off, but I can't. And I'm like, wow, how is this filmmaker telling the story? And I think the, I think the most, the smartest, the most elevated way to tell a story is to show, not tell. What do I mean by that? I mean a movie that is visual, a movie that tells me the story visually without having to say, well, I'm now going to go into this haunted barn because it's haunted. The search for a ghost from a long time ago. It's like the movies where it's like everything is like Mad Max Fury Road, uh, while not a horror movie, is a great example of just a spectacular film because everything is visual 100 visual like you watch mad max fury road and you like let's say you're that, that movie plays in japan i heard george miller say in an interview he's like he's like yeah I, you know what's so great about fury road is that when it plays in japan like people, they don't even need subtitles because everything's visual you know you don't need the dialogue to know what's going on so i think Real, what makes a really great film is if it like can visually communicate everything that's going on without having to use dialogue. And so when I'm trying to write, I think in my head, I'm always asking myself the question, how can I show this and not tell this? And sometimes you can show with dialogue, which sounds like a paradox, but it's not. It's like, it's like by using only a little bit of dialogue, I'm still showing you. I'm just not straight up giving you exposition upon exposition upon exposition position telling you every little like you know uh detail uh in, in something that may seem very um uh, unrealistic like the way people talk uh you know when the, everything gets explained and you go nobody's gonna say that nobody would explain every single thing that's going on they're really afraid they're they're frightened they're running away from something they're not gonna sit there and tell you everything it's like you're not really talking to that character you're talking to the audience and trying to spoon feed it to them so, yeah, so I'd say visual, like real visual movies, movies where another great like characteristic of like what makes for a great film when a movie tells something to the audience but does not tell the characters. So meaning we as the audience are watching and um, we know something and we're watching this train wreck that's about to happen. We know that our character is in our character we're watching is in danger, but he doesn't realize it. Or we know some the twist. Like I just watched this movie uh, Night Watch with Ewan McGregor and Nick Nolte. Have you ever seen that? 
Night Watch, is that? No, I'm thinking of like the Russian movie Night Watch. Yeah, yeah that's the Vampire one. 2004. I'm talking about, about from 1997. It was a remake of a European film uh, directed by the same director, and it stars Ewan McGregor and uh, uh, Josh Brolin and Nick Nolte. But like halfway through, you find out who the killer is, right? And what's so great about it, it's like none of the other characters know, but we know. So we're like, whoa, how is this going to play out? We know that, that this person is in danger just by being in this room with somebody. That's what I that's what I mean by that. So it's like I think that's another really great um, storytelling device that makes for a really good film. Oh, yeah, definitely. I hate films where, like, they explain everything to you, and it's like, that doesn't, that's not something a normal person would say. Like, people don't explain every detail about, especially, like, when they're talking, when they're trying to describe a per, another person, it's like, oh, they're this, this, and this. It's like, wh- you, no one would ever describe another person like that. I, I always find that really obnoxious. So, like, when they can just, like, show it, it's, it's, it's a lot better. So, on the, on the opposite spectrum of that, are there it's so true. on the opposite spectrum? Are there films that you enjoy as guilty pleasures? Movies that you know aren't exactly great, but you love watching anyway. And what are what are a couple of your favorite of those? Hell yeah, um, friggin' of course. I mean, uh, I love guilty pleasures. I mean, I here's the thing though. I'm of the mind that those aren't bad movies. They're just. It's like Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage might be the greatest living actor on the planet. And you're like, what? Why is he saying that? It's like, no, think about it. Nicolas Cage is not only an Oscar-winning actor winner, but yet at the same time he stars in a movie like Season of the Witch or the Wicker Man remake or Vampire's Kiss. Vampire's Kiss is a a special kind of breed of movie. It's just – Unreal. I was just talking to my wife earlier about Nicolas Cage, too, um, referencing uh, the movie Drive Angry. I was like, I will never be as manly as Nicolas Cage in Drive Angry, where he's having sex, shooting people, and drinking a whole bottle of whiskey at the same time. (laughs) Like, I will never be that manly. And here's the thing. And you know what? And and Con Air, Con Air. People are like, oh, that movie is like whatever. Con Air is like one of the greatest action films ever made. And you can't forget. It's just perfection. You can't so forget Face there Off. There are movies out. Oh, I'm sorry. You can't forget yeah, Face oh, Off. Face Off. Love Face Off. Yeah, but that's what I mean. It's like, it's like these movies are to me are great. Even they're not guilty pleasures. So it's just it's like, what mood am I in? Am I in the mood to watch uh, to sit down and watch The Seventh Seal by Igmar Bergman or Oni Baba or like Quaden or you know um, or Diabolique or do I wanna? Am I in the mood to watch? Battlefield Earth, Battlestar Earth, Battlefield Earth, which is like the best worst movie ever. Um, Jaws four, stop or my mom will shoot. You know, uh, so it's like, it's like every movie has a time and place. So I don't subscribe to that theory that there are bad movies because I'll tell you, those movies, some of them, you know, uh, the, the filmmaking is really great to them. Meaning, like, there's nothing wrong with the filmmaking. Even a movie like The Room. People say, you know, the room. Have you, are you guys familiar with the room? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. We, we're we've, we've done a review on it. The room. I actually just saw the room and I got to meet Tommy and it was really cool. But as I'm watching the room, I'm realizing that the room is like it's like the surrealist nightmare film. If you really think about it, it's like people call it the worst movie ever made, but it's like kind of genius. It's like accidental genius. Like you're sitting there, you're like, this is on par with like. 
with like a razor head. It's like a dude who's it's like the most accurate representation of nightmare logic. You know, it's like uh, everybody sort of talks in this weird, disjointed way and uh, people just bring up random plot points that just never come again. It's like it's a dream. It's a dream. And it's Johnny's nightmare. And Johnny finally wakes up from the nightmare by shooting himself in the head. And so it's like it's like actually kind of. This brilliant movie, and you know, I was thinking in my head, I'm like, who could like if Eraserhead? If someone were like, oh, let's remake Eraserhead, who could do it? Could Steven Spielberg remake Eraserhead? I don't oh, think definitely so. not. Could Tommy Wiseau remake Eraserhead? Hell, fucking yeah, he could, and he would probably be insane. Would it be? Would you be able to compare it to Eraserhead? No, but like, it would probably be the most legitimate Eraserhead like remake. I guess. What, what do we keep saying that we want Tommy Wiseau to remake? Um, wasn't it um, uh, the Fantastic Four or something like that? Yes, yes, the Fantastic Four. Give it, give it to Tommy Wiseau because no, no one's been able to do a good Fantastic Four, Who and I bet, I bet Tommy Wiseau would do it. He would be, he would be all for them. Who would he? Who would he star as? He he would be Mister Fantastic. He would be Susan Storm. He would be Johnny Blaze and he, or, uh, oh, yeah. Johnny Storm. And he would be Hi, guys. he would be I the thing. He would be all four of them. And he would be Doctor Doom at the same time. Or Mark would oh, play yeah. Doctor Doom. He would play. I think he would play. No, I think he would play Doctor Doom. I think he would cast Greg Sinestro, Greg Sin, whatever his name <laughs> is, as Mister. Yeah, he would be Mister Fantastic. And then he would be like, "Ha ha ha! I'm Doctor Doom." Ha, 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 shut up. <laughs> So I think I think that would be great. I would love to see that. I would I will watch any movie that Tommy Wiseau directs or remakes or whatever. You know, most so. definitely. Yeah, I feel like yeah. When you mentioned Eraserhead and being remade by Tommy Wiseau, I feel like a uh, if they ever remade Eraserhead, it would have to be completely different. It's somehow a remake just because of how bizarre that film is. Like you can't really oh, yeah. remake it. You can just kind of call something else Eraserhead and have like. It would, and kind of have like the same kind of like mindset, I guess. See, as you, David Lynch. Had. You, you say that, but then it leads me into like Evil Dead territory. But Evil Dead's a lot different from Eraser. Well, I'm just saying how they they remade it, it and, and they were like, oh well, it's different, but not, but yeah, yeah. Fifteen minutes. The first fifteen minutes of Evil Dead Two are supposed to be a remake of Evil Dead, so it, it's kind of like a requel, and then and. Um, right into Army of Darkness. It's pretty much a perfect film. Evil Dead Two. It's just got. It, I mean, it's got everything in it. It's, oh no, it's, I don't. I don't mean Evil Dead Two. I mean that piece of shit 2015 movie Evil Dead. I think it was 2015. I don't know. Oh, I like that one too, man. I mean, it's not like perfect or anything, but you know, I, I you know what? I didn't have a problem with it. I, I've only seen it once, and you know what? I thought he went on to make an incredible film with Don't Breathe, and I'm on. I'm on board. The fit. What's his name? Fitty, Fetty, I'm on the Fetty board, man. Whatever the Fetty train goes, <laughs> I'm gonna go too. I just think he's a solid filmmaker. You know, it's like here's the thing: when you're remaking a movie like Evil Dead, it's like possible. It's I thought it was really good that they didn't try and recast Ash like traditionally. They I heard at the time they were gonna use Sean Michael Sean William Scott, the guy who played Stifler, and I was like, that would actually be a really good casting choice because I could because because Ash is kind of like Stifler in a way, and I thought 
oh, you know, that might not be bad. But then when I heard they were going with a girl instead, I was like, this is a smart way to do it. It's the same way when Nirvana sort of reunited without Kurt Cobain for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And they had Joan Jett front Nirvana. And I was like, that's a brilliant move. Because it's like, not in a sexist way, but it's like, no, no man can ever replace Kurt Cobain. I'm not even a big Kurt Cobain fan. I just know that it's like, that dude was Nirvana, right? No one's ever going to replace Kurt Cobain. So instead of trying, so we're not going to even try and insult his memory by replacing him with another dude and another male's voice to emulate Nirvana songs. We're going to have a chick do it. We're going to have a, a woman, uh, 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 because only, and it's kind of like goes back to like Macbeth, you know, at the end of Macbeth when, uh, the witches are like, Oh no, Macbeth, you're cool because no, no man born of woman can ever kill you. And so he's like, Oh, I'm invincible. And then, he meets McDuff, who's like, ah, I was ripped from my womb untimely. And therefore, he's able to kill Macbeth. It's like the same thing. It's like, no man can ever replace Kurt Cobain. But Joan Jett is no man. So therefore, she can. It's so a- I kind of feel, and I kind of feel like it's the same thing with Evil Dead. To, to, to pull that thread even further back, to go back up the rabbit hole, I think that the fact that they didn't try and emulate bruce campbell and they just got you know this chick and had her do it's like is she is she withdrawing from heroin or is she possessed by a demon i thought that was really clever a a really clever approach and so you know and the thing with remakes is you know the original is always going to be there A a, a remake does not replace the original by any means and a really good remake and i believe they exist especially in the 80s with the golden trifecta of the blob the thing and the fly but a really good remake revisits and tries to do something different than what came before. Yeah. I feel especially when a movie's so infamous, you can't really try to emulate it completely because it's just, you're, exactly. you're never going to like do it well. So it's just like kind of do it differently, but kind of have a point to it, I guess. Well, it's, it's funny because I can't remember yeah. what, yeah. what the uh, remake is called, but I saw, I, I have a movie from the seventies called who can kill a child. And I saw the remake of it. It was on Netflix at one point. And I'm watching this movie and I'm like, I'm like, I swear I've seen this movie before. And it dawned on me like halfway through that it was like a shot for shot remake of of who can kill a child. And I was like, oh, my God, like, like who even saw this film to remake it? Like, uh, But I love that. I, I love know, that movie. Did you ever see uh, Don't Be Afraid of in the dark the probably that was a remake of a really crazy tv movie and i had never seen the original but i thought the i thought the one they did with i think katie holmes was in it that was really really fucking creepy really good check it out if you haven't seen it definitely so what advice would you give to somebody who wants to create their own independent film i would say just go out there and make it man um when with romeo i just uh you know, it's funny. I spent a year writing this other script called The Shift that I mentioned before that based on the same Sam Haynes song. And, you know, I, I you know, I, I, I treated it like a job and I'm writing every single day and I'm like, you know, it's got to be perfect. And then once it was complete, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to shoot this. It's 120 pages, which, you know, and the, the, the whole, you know, there's a ratio rule. It says for every page of script is one minute of film. And it's just so not true. Like sometimes like, one page can be five minutes. So it's like this movie that's 120 pages is not two hours long. It's like probably like closer to four hours long or, or three hours long. And so I scrapped the, 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 the screenplay and then I was struck again. Like I said, I was like, 
they're like, hmm, like all oh, this love. What if there was a love triangle between somebody who was alive and somebody who was dead? And and I was like, oh, that's a great idea. And I just started writing. And that script took two months. And as soon as it was done, I was like, I got to make this film. And I was like, I'm not. I can't wait any longer. I'm just going to start doing it. I'll just pay out of my own pocket. I was working as a waiter at the time. And I just started, I started, I went out onto Craigslist and I said, Hey, who wants to make a movie? I found people that wanted to be, we did about 23 production days over 15 months. So even though Romeo takes place over the course of three days, it was really a 15 month period. And uh, that's part of the reason why the third, you know, the third act of the movie, that's where it gets really like necromantic. And we had to change that. I had to change that because we lost an actor and I had to replace, you know, we had to rewrite, do a bunch of rewriting. And uh, that's when it became more like Romeo and Juliet instead of necromantic. So, but my point is, it's just like, you know, you just got to get out there and just freaking just do it, you know, grab a camera, this I was talking to this guy. He's like, I really want to get into making films. I'm like, I'm like, well, what kind of phone do you have? And he's like, I have an iPhone eight. And I'm like, great. Get, get a stabilizer, uh, download this app and just start playing around with your phone and just start shooting, shoot something, make a movie. You know, uh, that's the only way you're really going to get good. If you're not, you know, thing is it's like, you know, I tried doing that whole thing where you like, you know, work on, you know, real movie sets and like you're being a production assistant. You know what I asked myself at the end of the day? I'm like, how is my assistant? me a director the only thing that's going to make me a director is directing so i'm just going to write a script instead and that's what i did i wrote a script uh shot it i'm trying to now i'm trying to repeat the process i'm like just keep doing it over and over again so just do it there you go good advice now we have an all-important question that we always ask here at um at bmovie bros something paul and i discuss often for whatever reason we like to get everybody's input and uh, what is your opinion on hairless cats? Well, I hate cats. <laughs> I hate them. I just listen. I it's it's nothing personal. It's just that cats are. Um, I'm allergic to them. They make me feel. They don't make me feel good because I'm allergic to them. Uh, I I I don't I don't like their personalities. Uh, I find them to be very uh, cold, calculating, independent creatures that want. Uh, I don't like that they carry toxoplasmosis, which um, is kind of like this evolutionary uh, advantage they have. Basically, it's a bacteria. It's a it's a mutually beneficial bacteria that they carry in their blood. It comes out well. It's in their 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 shit. And what happens is you breathe it in, and then basically it makes you love cats. I'm not even kidding. This this or it makes you. Not af- and it makes you not afraid, so you become m- more of a risk taker. And um, what happens is toxoplasmosis gets into mice, and so mice aren't afraid of cats. They'll walk right up to a cat. The cat grabs the mice, mouse, bites its head off. Um, that's why you can't allow pregnant ladies around cats, apparently, because you know they can get uh, toxoplasmosis, and that's what what's his face dies of in train spotting. Uh, the friggin' guy who likes Iggy Pop and is into soccer, he starts shooting heroin. He 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 has this cat, cat shits everywhere because doesn't take care of it, and he dies from toxoplasmosis. So I'm just not a, I'm just not a cat man. And you know what's funny? Have you guys ever heard of Save the Cat? Um, you mean the um the book or the formula for filmmaking or something? Yes. Like that? Yeah, I've heard yes. of that. Yeah, so it's like 
it's like I really resent that formula because, you know, I, I don't think I would ever save a cat, but I don't think that makes me a bad person. You know, I just don't like cats. And, you know, the last time I was watching Reanimator, I'm sitting there and I'm going, I'm watching. So does uh, Herbert West save the cat? You know, I never actually thought thought that question before. No, I mean, he, think about he, it, he kills right? it twice. Yeah, well, I'm pretty it, sure he, he kills it, back but he brings it back. But, I mean, he, he brings it back to prove a point, not to actually bring it back. Like, yeah. So not because he cares about it. I mean, he, and yeah, he, he definitely killed it in the first place. Uh, I so He's a bad guy. What can I, he's an anti-hero, but he's my favorite one. So... <laughs> So that is what I, that's what, that's my feeling. And then, and then you asked me about hairless cats. Like, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's a grotesque looking thought, (laughs) a hairless cat, a cat without hair. Have you ever seen what an owl looks like without hair or an owl looks like without feathers? It's terrifying. Imagine what a cat would look like without hair. It looks so weird. And so, uh, I additionally probably like dislike uh, a hairless cat to another degree than just normal cats. To answer your question, I personally think they look like moving abortions, so I, I don't like them. I think they're like adorable, cuddly versions of gremlins. Like it's because you're a bad person, you know. It's the yeah. toxic, um, whatever that stuff is, infecting your brain. Toxoplasmosis. Toxoplasmosis. Listen, I, mean, I remember that. I, I don't have. I don't have cats at home. I'm allergic to cats. So is my wife. Like we're both allergic to cats. Well, and that's why. Yep. Why that's another thing. They 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 lull you into a false sense of security just so that because they know that people are allergic and then they take advantage of that because they've got a plan. Haven't you ever seen? Hey, haven't you ever seen that amazing anthology called The Cat's Eye? Once on cable, um, like after yeah. midnight. <laughs> yeah, you remember that last story though. No. Oh, wait a minute. The cat saved the girl. I'm thinking of the little troll. Well, normally cats are supposedly they steal baby's breath, so you can't keep a cat around a baby. So um, cats, man. See, they're bad the people. <laughs> they're the worst kind of people. They're very bad people. <laughs> so, where can we watch Romeo's Distress, or um, where can people find it? Um, right now they can't. Um, because I'm trying to figure out uh, distribution. Uh, it'll be 100%. It will be on Amazon Prime, which I'm going to do independently myself. So no matter what, people will be able to stream it eventually on Amazon Prime. That's like the the least of where it'll be. Uh, I'm currently uh, working with two different companies right now, trying to see if I can get it sold. Um, I know that it's currently at the American film market right now, uh, hopefully getting sold. Um, and... Uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I was thinking about even, uh, just, uh, running off some, some Blu-rays and then just sort of trying to, uh, sell pre-orders through Facebook and just sort of do like a very small release, you know, all my favorite bands, you know, that's what they did. They'd press up their own seven inches and sell them. Uh, and once they were gone, they were gone. It's like, that's what the misfits did. And I love the misfits. And it's like, you know, I just think that's really cool. And I think that's a really cool way to distribute your own stuff. Um, especially for something like Romeo, which is, you're never going to see in a Best Buy anyway. So, you know, I'm thinking like maybe that's just the way to go and just get some cool merch printed up and sort of sell it off as bundles. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. So where can we follow you to learn more about Romeo's Distressed? When we'll be able to uh, to actually see it and any other projects that you're working on in the future? Um, so 
you could fo- find mo- out more about Romeo on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Romeo's distress movie. Um, uh, you can find me on Facebook too. Um, I guess, uh, like I said, it'll be out eventually. It'll be streaming no matter what it'll be on Amazon prime. So people with a prime account looking to check it out, something cool can find it there. Um, what I have next, I mean, I'm just, just a burst of creativity. Uh, again, I just want to talk for a minute about this nightmare film festival. I went to this film festival. Um, these programmers are great. Jason, Chris, they, uh, they put together this, uh, incredible film festival with a lot of filmmakers get together. And I watched so much stuff and I just got so inspired, uh, that um, I'm actually writing four different shorts right now uh, that I'm hoping will be a part of some anthology uh, things. Um, and if they're not, I might just string them together and do my own anthology um, uh, because I just really love anthologies. And, uh, and, you know, again, if you're looking to, you know, if you're looking to create a, a film, but you've only up to this point know how to tell a short, you know, a short film or do a short film, short story you should just do like four short stories and then string them together and then you have a film you know uh shoot a wraparound that sort of thing um so yeah so i'm working on that i'm working on another feature length screen it's called um that's probably a working title but that's a really good really fucked up story uh so we'll see what comes of it on page 70 right now and uh yeah i'm just looking to make another film uh one one way or another definitely cool so there you have it, B-Movie fans. Romeo's Distress, a film by Jeff Frumis. Uh Jeff, thank you for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun having you on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Um, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. If you have an independent film you're working on and would like to discuss it, you can email us at bmoviebros at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at bmoviebros or my personal Twitter at bmoviepaul. Don't forget to listen to our podcast. We review a different B-movie each week. New episodes every Friday on our website, bmoviebros.com. If you have a movie you'd like us to review or any additional comments, feel free to leave a message below. This has been another B-movie interview. We are the B-movie bros saying... Be brave, be alive, and be back next time.